0: On Monday, August eighth, Tall Can Audio hits one thousand episodes. Wait, that's still on. Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Robin, Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh, my god. It. oh my god! Oh my god!
1: <laughs>
0: George Springer is a Blue Jay. Yeah, that happened. He was the best pound-for-pound player available in free agency. This guy is the complete package.
1: I think that George Springer is the game-changer that they've been waiting for. The Blue Jays feel like they have a window right now to win.
0: I do believe the Jays just won the division. I do believe that. I do. This is Talk and Audio. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into an all-new episode of the Tall Can Audio Podcast. Matt Robinson with you in our studios in beautiful, snow-covered by town, Canada. Joined today by a friend of the show, Arden Zwelling from Sportsnet. How's it going today, man?
1: Matt, what's going on, man? Good to hear from you.
0: Same to you. Uh, I assume uh, we talked a little off the the top there before we fired her up. Uh, Things look a little bit similar there in Toronto as they do in Ottawa. You're blanketed pretty good down there.
1: Yes, we got a uh, yeah, we got blasted today with the with the snow and I think we were talking there's another one coming later this week. Yeah. So. But look, that's that's good, right? Like it's winter, it's supposed to be cold, it's supposed to snow you know, when it's, uh, like balmy and nice and we don't get snow during winter, that's actually a little bit alarming. So (laughs) it's, it's nice to have the snow. It's good that, you know, the earth is doing what it's supposed to do.
0: True enough, man. I, I like that. You're, you're a positive guy. I like that. Um, it hardly looks like the beginning of, of spring training season, but we have arrived there. We'll get to that in a second, but you know how we roll around here. Um, like to kick it off with a little bit of craft beer talk. um, what have you uh if anything you know a a lot of people do the dry january or kind of try and take her easy here through the winter um what have you been up to and uh tried anything good here since the last time we talked before the playoffs started
1: So I am one of those people who uh, starts the year with a nice little extended dry period, just to kind of like put some, you know, put something in the bank for the summer. Sure, because the summer is typically when I like to be outdoors enjoying beers. Yeah, so uh, you know I try to kind of earn that at this time of year. Um, But so I actually haven't had a beer in 2021. I'm going to kind of wait until I can actually go outside uh, and be on a patio to do that. However, get the willpower uh, I, on this
0: guy, man, nice.
1: I know, I know. I have to. It's uh, you know, especially as you get older, metabolism slows yeah. down. Uh,
0: it's, no, for you sure. Know, the,
1: you, you see the results of the beer, propping, you know, cropping up around <laughs> the midsection a lot more. Um, but you know, over the holidays and, and over Christmas, I certainly enjoyed my fair share. Uh, so, if, if I had to give you one recommendation mm-hmm. uh, and one that I drank quite a few from over the holidays, I'd be uh, Gillingham Brewing. Company, I don't think uh, I've heard of them. Yeah, they uh, are—they're out kind of near you, sort of Prince Edward County-ish oh, nice. area. I think it's uh, Hillier's actually—the the town that they're in—and mm-hmm. um, just really, really nice IPAs, really nice porters um it's it's like it's not a value product you know it's it's a it's a premium product you're you're paying for it (laughs) but you are you're getting it you're getting what you're paying for man it's just really nicely made small batch craft beer um i don't think they're in the lcbo i think you actually have to either go there to get it or they will deliver it to you (laughs) um so i get you know a bunch of it delivered to me here in toronto and and i love it it's it's just so 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 good so highly recommend gillingham brewing company out in Hillier.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because, uh, like I said, I haven't tried that brewery specifically, but you're like the third or fourth person over the last several months who's mentioned a brewery out of Prince Edward County. They're firing up a nice little scene there. I was all about the wineries down there for quite a while, but uh, they seem to be getting quite a few craft breweries down there too now.
1: Yes, absolutely. There's uh, there's another one called Prince Eddie's that I uh, checked out um, over the summer, and there was another one called Parsons hmm. that's pretty good out there. So yeah, though, no, there's some some great... Breweries out there, so uh, it's just a great little area. I'm um, sure. really and thinking about you know right now with not necessarily being able to. Or, well, I guess you can travel internationally, but you know, maybe you don't want to yeah, exactly. <laughs> right now. Maybe you want to keep it in Ontario. Yeah. It's a great time to kind of uh, uh, you know patronize some of these uh, you know local um, vendors and and local breweries and wineries and you know restaurants and places you know the rentals and Airbnbs and stuff like. It's a good time to get out in Ontario and kind mm. of see what the province has to offer. So, uh, you know, I would highly recommend that.
0: Yeah. You mentioned traveling there. I know that's something you've done over the years, quite a bit of, and I I didn't know I was going to get to this. It's just kind of occurred to me. Um, every now and then, and I don't think it was that long ago, the most recent one came out where the athletic put out a, uh, a list of like ranking the 30 major league ballparks in order of craft beer selection. And mm-hmm. I know when you're visiting these parks, you're working, so you don't necessarily get to partake um, as much as you might wish to. Are, have you found, though, as you've done some of these travels, that maybe the certain cities are better for it when you're, you're on the road with the team?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, don't get to partake as much as I'd like to. And I would imagine in those rankings that Rogers Center is somewhere near the bottom. It was
0: pretty Um, low. Yeah,
1: it's (laughs) hard to get a good craft beer at Rogers Center. Uh, And I do think that other clubs and other parks have done a much better job of incorporating local beer and local food. And I, you know, there's some talk about possible renovations at the Rogers Center and about you know reimagining the ballpark. And I do hope that. And this is, you know, small ticky tack stuff in the, the scope of a multi, <laughs> multi, multi-million dollar ballpark and real estate and commercial development. But I do hope there are better craft beer options there, Rochester sure, going go yeah. forward. Um, so as far as you know, other um, nothing comes to mind, you know, other yeah. cities that had particularly good craft beers at ballparks. I would imagine that some of the teams in California yeah. have some pretty good options because obviously the brewing out there is exceptional the northwest um,
0: too i'm told like maybe seattle probably B R A. 8 like yeah. yeah
1: so i i would bet like the san diego padres and like the angels and the dodgers have some some pretty good options there um and then you you gotta assume you gotta think the, the milwaukee brewers yeah. are probably pretty good but <laughs> i've actually never i've never been to that ballpark so huh. uh, i can't say for certain but I, you, you gotta you know look i think that you know especially in, in the united states really really all over like the craft beer scene has just exploded, right? Yeah, and yeah. and microbreweries are going to be in any city that you go to. There is going to be something. And there's going to be some sort of option. Um, so, yeah, that's it's. there's, there's no shortage of options these days, which is great.
0: Uh, we are just days away from spring training, firing up pitchers and catchers, going to report. Um, the biggest news out of the Blue Jays, I guess or uh, the most recent news, is the end of the Derek Fisher era. I'm not sure if there's a whole <laughs> lot to, uh, to cover there. That news hit me like a baseball to the face. Uh, it's, oh, it's uh, oh, Boo. <laughs> boo. <laughs> I Have a little empathy. <laughs> boo. I had that coming.
1: Uh, I can't think of a guy. I was, so we just did add letters, me and Ben Nicholson-Smith for mm-hmm. Sportsnet, and we actually talked about Derek Fisher quite a bit, because yeah. I, don't, I don't know if there's a guy that had a more sort of toxic and hostile time as a blue jay
0: right like um in, it's, it in, goes to that first day hey eh? what's going on yes. with sanchez on the other end and then his first game you're just oh no right absolutely
1: <laughs> no yeah Me, while aaron sanchez and joe Biagini are contributing to a no-hitter for the houston astros <laughs> derek fisher is taking a fly ball off the face yes. like th- those are the facts yeah. but as you know look longtime baseball fans and as anybody who is a fan of this game should know you can't take one event and just no. formulate an opinion about it. No. Um, you can't just decide at that point. Okay, Derek Fisher is bad, and you know, you've been other on guys Twitter, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's part of it, right? Yeah. Because you know, a guaranteed way to get all kinds of blowback and flack and get ratioed on Twitter is to say anything about Derek Fisher, mm-hmm. to say anything about him, and you know, relative to the amount of time he spent as a Blue Jay. I just think it's so disproportionate. The guy course, appeared so in yeah. 50 games. 50 games, yeah. you know, like that is, that's a third of a season. <laughs> the guy had 150 plate appearances as a Blue Jay. Like, he, it's such a small sample of time he spent with this club. And as evidenced by his departure from this club, the guy actually has value in this game. Yep. Like, he had trade value. He brought back not only cash, but also a player to be named later from Milwaukee. Like, that's a lot more than I think a lot of Blue Jays fans would have figured because Derek Fisher is a guy who over 1,000 AAA plate appearances has like a 900 OPS. Not a lot of guys can do that. He's a guy who has very clear, like, elite sprint speed tools. Great exit velocities, like great walk numbers throughout his career. He's the type of guy the teams are going to bet on. Um, not the Blue Jays right now, because right. they're in a bit more of a competitive window. But teams like the Brewers, teams like the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the Baltimore Orioles, will bet on this class of player because you never know when you're going to find the next Jose Bautista, mm-hmm. who looked a lot like Derek Fisher at one point, who looked a lot like a quad-A outfielder, when he was 26 and 27 and was the type of guy who was ended up on waivers and being traded for players to be named later. Right. You know, we can't forget that Josh Donaldson was a quad a player at 26, 27 as well. Um, we've seen it time and again where guys, you know, blossom late in their careers. Oh, well, Even well, T Oscar,
0: guys, right. Took a little longer than we wanted to. All of a sudden he has yeah. this great killer 2020 and you know, sometimes patience is a virtue, right? Yeah.
1: That's another example, right? So, you know, look, the, the, as a Blue Jays fan, you can be heartened that they have kind of moved out of the point in their recent history where they are giving those opportunities to players. They yeah. don't have those opportunities to give anymore, so you're not going to see any more Socrates burritos <laughs> or Derek Fishers. Um, but, I, I, you know, I don't know. Just looking back on the uh, quote-unquote Derek Fisher era, yeah. it just strikes me how toxic the the, the conversation around him was. For a guy who barely played, and oh, you're considering the fact bad. that it's
0: just a joke, just a <laughs> well, it's, not, yeah, it's not you. I, I was more just... my opinion on that guy. It was more indifference than than yeah. you know, malicious. Um, It just you know, he was just kind of a guy. You, you keep him around, you see what he might turn into, and he's moved along. I got to tell you, it's so nice to hear you talk about though, you know, them being in a window now where they're not able to give those opportunities. They're ready to contend. And I want to ask you about some of the moves they made. But in general, um, reading your stuff and and listening to At The Letters, um, you were pretty steadfast all the way through, even when it was taking a while, that the Jays would do something big. And, and management had said as much, but when it's just coming from management, you're like, you know, management groups talk. That's what they do, and they got to fill you with hope and these sorts of things. But you never really shied away from the fact that you were pretty sure if the situation was right, they would land a big fish. And I just wonder before we get into kind of the specifics, you know, what made you so confident that this would be an offseason where they made some some noise?
1: Well, part of it is just, you know, covering the team and kind of knowing things that happen behind the scenes helps. Yeah. Um, I, another part of it you know, relates to what you're saying about, you know, management talks and sure, you know, no, uh, no front office comes out and says, "Ah, oh, we suck. Right. <laughs> you know, we're not going to be that good. Uh, there's no hope. Don't watch our product. Don't buy our tickets." Like nobody comes out and says that. However, I would argue that the Blue Jays front office has done exactly what they have said they're going to do yeah. over the last five years of the Mark Shapiro era. Um, he, when he came in with Ross Atkins they talked about hey look this is a you know a, an aging roster and we need to rebuild our minor league depth and rebuild our system because we need young players coming up to replenish from within so we are going to aggressively acquire young talent and we are going to do everything that we can to rebuild that system but we are also going to try to extend this competitive window mm-hmm. because we have seen how much people love this roster and we have seen how passionate Toronto is about this and we believe that they can still win so they did that for a couple of years, yep. and they went out and found creative ways to get young talent, and they were kind of half-pregnant in a way in that they were still trying to win, and while trying to rebuild a little bit beneath the surface, and layer in uh, a revamped, or really just a created player development department and a high-performance system, and getting Dunedin taken care of, and just modernizing a lot of things with the organization. So they said they were going to do that, and then they did that. And then after um, 2017, essentially, they said, look, we're going to take a little bit of a soft reset here. And we're going to take a little bit of a step back from competitiveness. We're probably not going to be a, play- a postseason favorite going into the year. You know, we're, we're not going doing a full teardown. We're not doing a Houston Astros rebuild. We're not going to lose 100 games year after year. But we are taking a little bit of a soft step back. But when the time comes, we are going to push aggressively forward with the new young core, and we are going to supplement it with free agents and with major league veterans, with win now players. We are going to outspend revenue. Is something that Mark Shapiro said repeatedly. At some point, we're going to outspend revenue. They in 2018 and you know 2019 a little bit took that soft step back. Um, That happened and then they said in 2020, we're going to try to win now. We're going to move forward with our young core. And the time came to outspend revenue with a free agent and that was George Springer. And that occurred this offseason. So they've really done what they've said they were going to do. And going into this offseason, they said, we're going to play at the top of the class. We're going to try to bring in an elite talent. We're going to try to bring in a lot of impact condensed in one player, which means – um, you know, somebody like a Springer or a LeMahieu or a Bauer. Um, so you combine that then with a pretty depressed market where there weren't a lot of buyers and, you know, the Yankees weren't really, obviously they came away with Lemehu, but they weren't, you know, competing for, for Springer. Um, the Dodgers get uh, Trevor Bauer. The Phillies end up bringing back JT Realmuto. And then the Blue Jays were just kind of a seamless fit for um, George Springer with the Mets being their, really their only competition there. So, you know, you combine all those things, the lack of buyers, the Blue Jays, you know, their intentions and having that money to spend and having the faith of ownership to go out and make that type of acquisition. Um, that's for all those reasons and more. I, I really wasn't surprised.
0: Yeah. and And you're right about... Um, you know, we talked about Fisher and how toxic it was. This management team has had a rough ride since they got here and I, I was probably more negative on them than I should have been, but I, I had to admit a couple of weeks ago on the show, the same thing that they have done everything they said they were going to do. Um, that comment came after Springer. It was much easier to, to compliment them at that point. Um, yeah. but you're right with all the points you made there, I wonder You know, as we move forward now, and it'll be hard to tell, I guess, without, you know, fans in the ballpark and we'll see where they're going to play and stuff. But do you think this big splash, this big off season might get fans to lighten up on Atkins and Shapiro or, you know, when they arrived, we all loved Alex and we just had the big 2015 and it was a tough spot to walk into. Um, I wonder, do you think any attitudes will have changed or is this just kind of how it's going to be?
1: I think they're just—they're going to need to win—is what it's going to be. Um, and and I, I certainly don't fault any fan for needing to see it to believe it, mm-hmm. right? And you know, that's—that was part of it with George Springer, like you're alluding to. A lot of fans needed to see, like the you know George Springer wearing a Blue yes. Jays hat, <laughs> uh, you know, or or even it dates back a little bit to 2020. A lot of fans needed to see. They're like, hey, like this team's actually pretty good, mm-hmm. and they're actually now going from, um, you know, just kind of hanging around with the Yankees to like, hey, they're beating the Yankees, um, you know, and now they, here they are, you know, earning a playoff spot, and here they are finishing the year four games above five hundred. Um, it, it's a little bit of see it to believe it, I think. So you know, I, I think the next step with that this spring and and even into twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two. Is going to be seeing and believing the quality of prospects within this system, yeah. because I think everybody understands, like across the industry, the Blue Jays are, you know, believed to have a top five farm system. Um, but once I think fans actually see Simeon Woods Richardson on a mound, and they actually see Jordan Groshans um, at the plate, and they see Austin Martin in the field, then they will start to believe, like, oh, hey, there actually really is a lot of yeah. high end premium talent you know if Nate Pearson stays healthy and can pitch to his potential this year I think fans will say like oh wow like there really are some some good players um coming up through through the organization and then it will be easier to look back on sort of the long-term plan that Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins have gone through over the last five years and say okay that was worthwhile like that they they knew what they were doing (laughs) this actually made some sense but ultimately in the end they're gonna have to win they're gonna have to contend for World Series and that contention and that winning is going to have to be annual it's going to have to be sustainable because that is the very high bar that they have set for themselves is that like we want to compete sustainably we don't just want to you know have this kind of peak where we're good for two to three years and then we have to take a step back and rebuild again like they want to be like the dodgers um you know like the yankees like perennial contenders it's extremely high bar to set for yourselves but they've been very public and saying that's what they want to do so ultimately You know Whether or not they achieve that is what they'll be judged upon.
0: Uh, As we mentioned, pitchers and catchers set to report. I think Blue Jays fans were hopeful or optimistic that there might be another pitcher or two added um, for the rotation when we got to this point. The most recent guy to get locked up that I I believe the Jays at least were interested in if didn't make a formal offer was James Paxton. He goes back to the Mariners. Um, It sounds like he was a Mariners fan growing up. That's an eight point five million dollar deal, and I wonder: should we read into that move at all? That eight point five is more than what the Blue Jays have left to spend on the rotation, or was it just not a, a fit? Do you think? Should we read anything into that number?
1: So that's definitely one way of reading into it for sure. Um, you know, another way would be that James Paxton's showcase just wasn't that impressive. Yep, um, and that is, you know, maybe it wasn't holding this velocity. Maybe there's something in the medicals with a guy who obviously has been often injured throughout his career that, that turned the club off. Um, it could be a situation where the Blue Jays had that room in the budget, like they had that payroll to spend. Mm-hmm. But the 8.5 or if, you know, for Paxton to come Toronto, yeah. maybe it was actually 10 or 11 sure. guaranteed. Uh, that might have been beyond the walkaway that the Blue Jays had set for themselves. Mm-hmm. They said, we won't go beyond this for this particular Player, um, I promise you, there is a pretty simple reason why he ended up over in Seattle. You even mentioned the West Coast thing, right? He's from there. He might have just wanted to be in the West on the West Coast. I think what the Blue Jays are looking at right now, when it comes to adding another starter, I mean, look, clearly this club would be better with a number two starter. Like clearly this club would be better with Jake Odorizzi, and and clearly it would, you know, I think it would be better if they added Taiwan Walker. He might not have the upside of an Odorizzi, Mm -hmm. but it would just make them deeper um but i think the club right now is sort of weighing maintaining some payroll flexibility going forward not only for next um winter's like pretty stacked free agent class which Mm -hmm. the blue jays want to be active in again we'll talk again about fans believing in the team like wait till next winter when again the blue jays are in on every you know prime free agent and Mm -hmm. again are splashing around in those in those waters atop what should be a pretty historic class but even Coming up for the trade deadline this season, like you think about it, the Blue Jays internally might be saying, look, maybe if we brought in a Taiwan Walker, uh, brought him back, I should say, he could be a one and a half to two war player over, you know, the first four months of the season. And maybe looking internally and saying, well, you know, maybe we can get that from Thomas Hatch. Or maybe we can get something approaching that from Trent Thornton or a combination of Anthony Kaye and TJ Zoik. And then we can get to the trade deadline and sort of assess where we are and look at our roster and say, you know, if we do need more starting pitching at that point, go get our version of Taiwan Walker at last year's trade deadline or Robbie Ray at last year's trade deadline. And actually have saved a bit of budget, a bit of money to be able to take on some salary in one of those trades. So, you know, like, look at the the are
0: hanging around in August kind of thing or July. and
1: Well, and they, they can, you know, considering how deep their offense is and how many runs oh, they can yeah. expect to score, I think the Blue Jays can expect to remain in contention to July. You know, I think, I think absolutely. They, you know, with as presently constructed with their 40-man today, <laughs> I think they can expect to be above 500 or at least right there at 500 come july which is all you really need um going forward so like, like i think they can sort of kick the ball down the road a little bit considering how relatively weak the current you know starting pitching options are on the market and then get to the trade deadline and you know call the san francisco giants about kevin gosbit right. right like look the giants are in the al west with two absolute behemoth yes. teams maybe they aren't that good you know uh, uh come july 15th and they're thinking well look gosman's on an expiring deal we can't qualify him again we know the blue jays like kevin gosman they've tried to sign him each of the last two off seasons well maybe you can just force him to play for you by by trading for him uh and and maybe there's a deal to be made there like i guarantee you within the blue jays front office they're already identifying like guys who could be targets come the trade deadline this this year whether it's like a john gray from colorado or a Danny Duffy from the Royals or, you know, whether maybe it's James Paxton yeah. from Seattle. It's sure. on Could a one-year be. deal, right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there, there's 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 going to be opportunities. There. Maybe it's a Taiwan walker with wherever he ends up signing. If he signs the team that isn't in contention come the trade deadline and he's only on a one-year deal. So I think the Blue Jays just feel like they can kind of slow play that decision a little bit.
0: The Taiwan Walker thing has become really interesting, right? Like, I, there was a lot of us, I think a lot of fans were really skeptical when they picked him up last year. Like, all right, like, but, you know, maybe not a ton there. And now there seems to be this movement, like, bring him back. Like, we want this guy back again. Yeah. And I, I guess kind of, you know, once you get to know him a little bit. And, and he seems to want to be in Toronto too, which always, yes. always endears him to, or endears people to the Blue Jays fans. So,
1: A um, guy who hasn't set foot in the home clubhouse right. in Rogers Centre <laughs> would love to come back. I mean, that's it's kind of the, the Pete Walker and Matt Bushman effect, right? Because he really liked working with those guys. Right. And I think he really liked the culture of the team, too. He liked being around a lot of the young players that the Blue Jays have. <laughs> you know, he, he liked the uh, kind of the bobashek Kevin Biggio clubhouse sure. a little bit. And look, it's interesting when you look at Walker as a guy who's coming off of a, a 2020 where he made all of his starts, had a 2-7 ERA, and he's like 28 years old. Right. He's really young for the yep. class. So, typically, a player like that would be getting paid. I think the fact that he's not getting paid suggests the teams are looking at his peripherals and looking at his stat cast stuff and some of his expected statistics and saying, Hey, we don't think you're going to be as good going forward as you were in 2020. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an interesting push pull because Tyler Walker can just point to the box scores right. and say, Did the run score or not? You know, <laughs> like, what do you, what do you want? I got results, right? What do you want? You know, I I, it's, I don't care what your computer says about me. Like on the field, you know, I got the job done. It's true. And look, I, I think he's a guy who still has room to grow, just based on you know he's healthy now. And you would think that you know he's you know the velocity was steady this year, and you know he's just a, a just now kind of diving into the world of analytics, mm-hmm. which he hadn't earlier in his career. So I think whichever team signs him is going to get a, a good pitcher, a great clubhouse guy, like a really good presence around the team and a really hard worker. Um, but as things stand right now, I'm not convinced that team's going to be the blue Jays. Right. Uh,
0: why don't we look at some of the people that they have brought in and what that's going to look like. I'd like to start just with your sort of thoughts on Marcus Simeon and what we should expect there. Um, you know, at one point, like an MVP candidate and there's just kind of been some ups and downs. What are your sort of, and his downs when I say that they're not deep downs. Um, <laughs> what is a reasonable expectation for Marcus Simeon this year, uh, you know, playing on a one-year deal, looking to hopefully, I guess, you know, make his big splash in next year's offseason. What what can we look for in him?
1: Yeah, well, you look at sort of the, the peak of that up that you're talking about would be 2019 when MVP candidate, like you said, like 900 OPS player, like tremendous season season. Um, and then the valley of the downs mm-hmm. would be last season, 2020, yeah. when he just wasn't nearly as good. And there, there is some context to that. Um, you know, he was playing through an injury and it was a bit of a midsection issue. So you can imagine how much that would impact a guy at the plate sure. and impact the way he transfers his power and the exit velocities he's able to generate. Um, and you can even sort of slice his season arbitrarily. If you take out those first couple weeks when he was playing hurt and in a slump, might even be the first three weeks and you just look at the back six weeks of his season, he looks like the 2019 guy. yeah. Uh, but you know, it, look,' it's, it's a 60 game sample. So if your first half is miserable, I mean that'll sink your entire season's mm-hmm. numbers, right? So it's like the same thing with Simon Walker, right? Like you have to be really careful with 2020 statistics because on you know at face value they don't always tell the full story like you really do have to dive into the context like that's the strange thing with such a short season so look if there were 102 more games right. in 2020 maybe Marcus Simeon finishes like looking a lot more you know his, his numbers in in totality look a lot more like the 2019 numbers and maybe the Blue Jays aren't able to get him at 1 year sure. 18 million no, yeah. dollars maybe he's looking at 3 to 4 years and like a whole bunch more money right so uh it it it'll be interesting to see like how he is able to bounce back in 2021 i mean the safest bet is something between 19 and 20 right because there's a substantial sample from earlier in his career where he was merely a league average hitter mm-hmm. and not uh an mvp candidate like he was in 2019 he clearly made some really really quality adjustments in 2019 and i think that he demonstrated in 2021 that He still um, has the ability to be selective at the plate in the way that he needs to be Um, and as disciplined as he needs to be just to get to the good pitches that he can kind of do damage with. You know, he showed that he still has good vision and he really didn't chase crap in 2021. I mean, the problem was sort of his quality of contact. Like he just wasn't punishing the pitches that he should have. And you could see how a midsection injury would really impact that. So if he's healthy now, um and if he's still as selective with the plate as he has been and you know now he can kind of get to work with uh blue jays hitting coach guillermo martinez a little bit and some of the the hitting analytics folks and the folks who study swings may make a little bit of an adjustment to get some more of that line drive contact um and get that exit velo back up so that he's putting the the ball in play uh, at a much higher rate of speed and then he's also kind of hitting it up or on a line Rather than hitting pop flies or uh, ground balls, and it, it, you know it, it could be a lot better in 2021. So it's it's going to be fascinating just to watch that process play out.
0: Do you think there's you know any reason to expect he'll struggle with the move to second base, or should he be able to get that under wraps pretty quick?
1: I think when you're moving off a shortstop, you can play any position. Right. Honestly, <laughs> like it's uh, like he, this is a guy who's a capable big league shortstop. So I can't imagine that the you know moving to second base would be a problem for him. And he's motivated to stay up the middle as well. Yeah. He uh, the Blue Jays essentially gave him an option coming in. And they said, do you want to play second or third? Uh, and his answer was, "I want to play short." And yeah. <laughs> the, Blue J- <laughs> the Blue Jays said, "Well, we have a shortstop.
0: No, uh, not really like fly. quite a bit." Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, uh, so you know, he's going to play quite a bit of second because he wants to stay up the, the middle. And I, I think it'll you know be fine. I don't think the Blue Jays are going to be a fantastic defensive team. Right. Um, and I think they're just going to try to outscore um, you know the the runs that they're going to allow this year with you know look a starting staff that still does stick out as a bit of a weak spot. Of a spot that wasn't, you know, comprehensively addressed over the off season. Um, you know, the run prevention really wasn't tri- addressed in a dramatic way. But we add in a George Springer, mm-hmm. and you know, if Simeon can be himself at the plate, and if you get continued strides from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette, Teoscar Hernandez and Rowdy Tellez are able to carry forward the adjustments that they made you you know i think like i let me say this i think we will see a lot of you know 8 to 5 score <laughs> lines for the blue jays and like 9 to 7 i think it's going to be that type of season
0: so f- more 4 hour games coming at us pretty good yeah
1: you're going to see some more football scores I think. yeah
0: okay um so george Springer, of course is the big fish that they uh, they went out made a long term commitment to at mega dollars um how do you think you know he fits in and and you know how what does he do to this lineup and kind of how does that get put together do you think now adding this elite bat um to what was already a pretty good offensive lineup
1: yeah it just lengthens it right um it, you know and and if you can get something more like Vladimir Guerrero jr's true talent you know now that he's uh, better conditioned and in better shape and also just a bit more mature um and has a bit better more of an idea at the plate and a plan and an understanding of what pitchers are trying to do to him if Bobichek continues to make the vast Jumps that he has made throughout his very young career. If Lourdes Gurriel Jr. can stay healthy and hit the way that he has, uh, it just lengthens it, right? Because mm-hmm. you were adding a, a Springer to those producers, um, to a Teoscar Hernandez who won a Silver Slugger last year, to a Rowdy Tellez who had a sort of under the radar, sneaky good yeah. season. It just kind of it, it just gives you, you know. I just think that when if this offense clicks there's a lot of ifs there, sure. a lot of question marks there, certainly. But if this offense clicks and everybody plays to their potential, like I said, they, you might see a lot of 10-7 games yeah, <laughs> yeah. where the Blue Jays are scoring 10 and the other guys are scoring 7. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just think the Blue Jays are going to try to out-hit any sort of run prevention deficiencies that they have. So I, look, I think George Springer is a really, really good hitter. And I'm really impressed with the Im- improvements that he's made in terms of discipline. Um, and in terms of uh, plate vision and selection at the plate over his career, this is a guy who would swing and miss a lot in the minors, a guy who you could get to chase when he got to the big leagues in 2014. And he worked at that diligently and really, you know, cut down on his strikeout rates and increased his walk rates over time. Uh, I think that in 2017, knowing which pitches were coming certainly helped. With that, I yeah, think that would, uh, that. Yeah. you know, it's easy to <laughs> demonstrate good plate vision when you know what's <laughs> coming at you. But he certainly proved in 2019 and 2020 that a lot of the adjustments he made were real. We didn't see a drop-off in his numbers from the trash can year. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, I think it's reasonable to believe that he's not a product of the sign-stealing scheme and that he is truly just a very good, selective, patient hitter. And I think having that in your lineup, it, it it bleeds over to the other players because if you're seeing more pitches, then the guy on deck is seeing more pitches, right? And he is – that starter on the mound is getting a little bit more fatigued and the stuff's getting a little bit less sharp and everybody in the dugout is getting a better look at what that pitch is throwing today. Uh, so I think there are some downstream effects to having a guy in your lineup who's going to regularly put up these sort of five, six, seven pitch plate appearances – uh, rather than be a guy who's going to go up and be 0-2 yeah. immediately, <laughs> uh, I think I think that can be you know that can have a, or some really cool residual effects on on a lineup, particularly with young hitters. Uh,
0: before we get to the pitching staff, you did mention uh, that this won't be an elite defensive team. Uh, we've heard talk that Vlad would like to get back to third base. That makes me cringe a little. Um, and they they have some pieces, you know, in terms of how you're going to manage this lineup, DH, first base, everything that's going to happen there, do you think that we're going to see Vladdy back over on at third?
1: I think you'll see him there early in the spring cause I think the Blue Jays have to give him the opportunity now because yeah. they haven't shut it down. right? Um, and really, when you think about it, it's clearly something that's motivating him. So why would they shut it down? Yep. Even if in their heart of hearts, which and it sounds like in your heart of hearts, certainly <laughs> in my heart of hearts, I do not think he's a major league third baseman. Right. I just don't believe that he is. But this is clearly something that is motivating the physical improvements and the gains that he has made this off season uh, in terms of his conditioning, his body composition, his preparation uh just lowering the amount of body fat and raising the amount of lean tissue that he carries like mm-hmm. this is clearly something that's motivating him so you don't want to take that carry away from him that's dangling in front of him you want to maintain that motivation give him that opportunity at third in spring training but i think you know the, the blue jays best defensive lineup certainly does not have Vladimir Guerrero junior at third base unless and i suppose we will leave this possibility out there that he shows up and he has made an insane improvement defensively and all of a sudden he's capable. I suppose that's possible. All I know is the last time we saw him play third base regularly at the big league level in 2019, he was objectively, empirically the worst third baseman in baseball by a mile, (laughs) by outs above average, which is a stat-cast defensive metric, which is about as good as we have Mm -hmm. for measuring a player's quality. He was the worst in baseball and even if he made a substantial improvement on that he would still be below average so
0: you're looking to get to bad right
1: (laughs) (laughs) i think we all know what happens at the end of this is that he is a first baseman and a dh and i honestly think if he hits to his potential and he is like a 900 950 ops guy hitting 35 40 bombs a year nobody's going to care about his defense like you know when Miguel Cabrera couldn't play third base anymore did anybody care or did they said just go be Miguel Cabrera you're one of the best hitters in baseball so if Vlad hits to his potential I don't think it's much of a talking point I think early in spring we'll see him get some reps at third maybe there's a game or two there during the regular season but I certainly would not be penciling him in for a substantial amount of playing time at, at third base
0: uh, a couple interesting bullpen arms brought in. Um, what can you tell us about the uh, the new guys at the back end?
1: Well, uh, Kirby Sneed, Excuse me, Kirby Yates. Yeah. I keep making that mistake. There are two <laughs> Kirbys in spring training. Can you believe that? On uh, for the Blue Jays, I have weird. two Kirbys. Yeah. I can't. I can't think of another Kirby in baseball. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Kirby Yates uh, will likely be this team's closer if he is uh, back to the 2019 guy uh you know and and i've written about him quite a bit and people can look at sports.ca because there's lots of gifts in there of the stuff that he was featuring in 2019 i mean this is a guy who you know throws some unhittable stuff when he is on uh in 2020 he just was not healthy ended up having surgery uh and arm surgery as well so you always you're always kind of you know hesitant about you know how a guy's going to come back from that particularly uh, you know, at the age of 33, uh, particularly for a guy who for the first several years of his career was a little bit of a journeyman, you know, and, and wasn't really able to to put it together. And then, uh, you know, just discovered, uh, you know, himself with, with the Padres and, and in 2019, like, you know, just was absolutely untouchable. So if he can be even something approaching the 2019 guy again, he is a massive, massive weapon for this bullpen and an absolute bargain. At five and a half billion right. dollars, so that's you know that is probably the biggest guy just to watch in the spring and early on in the season, just to see if he's in form and if he's healthy and how he's looking. Um, and then some of the other additions, you know, David Phelps is a is a guy who's trying to bounce back. Yeah, you can see I know that guy. Thing yeah right uh he's here and thomas hatch is here as right. well um and tyler shotwood similarly trying to bounce back a little bit and uh you know i don't know if you put steven Matz in the rotation or the bullpen right uh but uh also another guy who's trying to bounce back but again 2020 numbers are just so skewed and you have to look at the context um of them and and i think all of those guys through big league swing and miss stuff and all those guys were able to strike out big league hitters and get weak contact from big league hitters so that's something that you bet on um, and that's something that you look at and say hey if we can take this guy's tools uh, and these capable big league pitches and put them in the hands of a Pete Walker and a Matt Bushman and some of our analysts and some of our R&D folks maybe we can get them pitching a bit differently put them in some situations in which they can be successful they can be useful members of of our bullpen and i think particularly this season you're just going to need this bottomless pit of pitching depth yeah. because you're going from 60 games to 160 so that's like a, you know a, a 170% increase in innings that need to be covered. So you are going to need the Tyler Chatwoods and the Steven Matzes of this world. And, you know, even further down the 40, if you want to look at like, you know, Julian Merriweather and, um, you know, Anthony Kaye and Thomas Hatch are going to be making starts for this team. Like guys like Joey Murray, will probably be making big league debuts this year. Ty Tice. I, I just think that, you know, this year more than any, uh, you're really going to need as much pitching depth as possible as a barrage of arms ends up on the IL with inflammation or strains or soreness or fatigue, every team's going to be dealing or with COVID it and, and
0: like, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, there's that, that whole thing too. still hanging around.
1: There's also, yeah, there's also that and the numbers in the United States are worse now than they were when the 2020 season started right. and a bunch of players got COVID yeah, <laughs> in the 2020 sure. season. So yeah, they, you, you just need as much depth as possible. And to me, that's, you know, it's sort of the, the underrated thing about this Blue Jays off season is they've really built out, their depth their 40 man roster just has a lot more capable players on it than it has at any point in the last 5 years to the point where they are making tough decisions on guys they like like Derek Fisher mm-hmm. or a guy like Shunyamaguchi who it's they're saying hey like you're not a perfect fit for us right now we're not sure how good you're going to be going forward we're just going to eat the 3 plus million dollars that we owe you right. and use that roster spot on on somebody else
0: Uh, the last thing then I, or I should round this out obviously with a little rotation talk, but I notice uh, I forgot at the top of the show for the sake of the listener. Uh, what I'm trying on this episode is the, uh, Birchbark White IPA from the Bob Cajun Brewing Company. Um, it's got a nice little crisp bite to it. Nothing too great, but, or too overpowering, but kind of juicy little, uh. Like I said, I'd call it crisp. So uh, if that's your thing, the Bob Cage and Brewing Company uh, have had a few of their things here recently, really nice. So, um you've sort of started to kind of paint a similar picture I wanted to ask you about, which is the fact that last year, That bullpen, at least early on, looked really good, but it had a lot of arms that this year are going to have to be in other places, right? That may have to start games in Buffalo as you have a minor league season again, uh, in Mm -hmm. theory. Um, And and there's going to be some parts moving around. Uh, How does that, you know, in your mind, impact the rotation when they, you know, we'll see in spring who's going to be where, um, but who's going to end up in that starting rotation? Who's going to end up in Buffalo that, you know, maybe we saw in the bullpen last year
1: yeah it's a great question and it's going to be a big topic throughout spring is just what does this pitching rotation look like because what the blue jays did in 2020 while it was very successful having uh you know guys like thomas hatch and anthony Kay coming in and throwing bulk outings Mm -hmm. out of the bullpen the way ryan barucky was used Uh, yeah aj cole coming in in the you know mid-inning a lot of the time. Um, you know, you saw like Anthony Bass working, you know, three days in a row. Yes. I mean, look, the bullpen was a really underrated aspect to the Blue Jays twenty twenty success. Mm-hmm. But any guy in that bullpen would have told you that by the end of August, like they were running on fumes. Yeah. And that what the way they were used in twenty twenty was not sustainable over a six month full regular season so the blue jays gonna have to adjust that in a way and i think that gets back to what we were just talking about with some of the fungible arms that the blue jays have added guys who can give you bulk outings like a tyler chatwood steven nats even a ross stripling falls into this category as well I do wonder if towards the back end of the Blue Jays rotation, so I'm not talking about, you know, Hunjin Ryu or, or uh, Tanner Roark here, but, you know, with uh, like a, a, a Mats and a Chatwood, do we see something that looks like piggybacking? Right. Something that looks like a tandem start? Um, if you get into a situation where, look, Robbie Ray's really good through the first couple times to the order, you can just kind of air it out and throw max effort. We don't really want him seeing a third trip through, so maybe it goes like Robbie Ray and then Ross Stripling coming out in right. after him um Nate Pearson a guy whose workload's going to be managed pretty closely this season um you know maybe he needs an extra day off or maybe he's you know we're only going to push him to 85 pitches in this outing so we're going to get 85 pitches out of Nate Pearson if that only gets him through four innings well then now we're going to be bringing in Julian Merriweather mm-hmm. behind him i think we're going to see a lot of that creativity from the blue jays and sort i think we're going exaggerated
0: s- opener like
1: in a way, yeah. yeah. I think I think they're just, you know, this is the trend in baseball and where it is going eventually is that we're no longer going to think of uh, five-man rotations and seven-man bullpens.
0: throwing 140 pitches. Yeah,
1: it's just going to be a pitching staff right. and, like, guys are going to throw when they're going to throw and not everybody's going to be, it's not going to be this situation where you have five starters who all throw 200 innings. You, know, you don't even have that today. Uh, so I think you know, teams are just going to look at their staff more in its totality and piece together innings in much more creative ways going forward. We've seen the Tampa Bay Rays like, really sort of blaze the trail with yeah. that. Um, and that's the organization the Blue Jays you know, look to as one of the leaders in, in MLB when it comes to innovation. And uh, obviously Charlie Montoyo comes sure. from that organization. So I, yeah, I think you'll just see a lot more of that creativity going forward. So you know, what is a rotation for this team this season, we'll see. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of it's you a and friends, basically. Yeah, yeah, right. Honestly, I think 100 Ryu is the one guy who you kind of pencil in for like every fifth, every sixth day. Yeah. will go out and throw a hundred plus pitches. Past him, I think you're going to see. You know, look, Robbie Ray's going to get starts. Pearson Roark, Matt's going to get starts. Thomas Hatch is going to get starts. Right. Anthony Kay is going to get starts. Uh, Trent Thornton's going to get starts. You know, like I just think Julian Merweather You know, I, I think that you know the the blue jays are really going to dig deep into their 40-man roster this year to get through innings it's something that every club is dealing with is how do we deal with this increase in innings and this in you know coming off of these weird workload years in 2020 where some guys threw 60 innings some guys threw 10 yeah uh and so you know, how, how do we keep guys as healthy as possible how do we not burn them out Um, And how do we really piece together uh, innings over a 162-game season this year we really can't have any certainty as to what we're going to get from various guys? That's why I think the depth is is so, so important.
0: Last thing for you then, um, where is this all going to happen? Because we have seen, uh, you know, I guess I just sort of assumed it would be in Dunedin. But in the last week or two, a report or two has popped up that they haven't ruled out Buffalo I know management is still saying they'd like to be in Toronto. With what's gone on with the Raptors and even the way the NHL has proceeded, that seems highly unlikely, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, do you think it's as simple as Dunedin, or do you could you see a scenario where they end up in another major league park like they tried to last year, or even back in Buffalo?
1: So I think there there are several contingencies on the table, and I think the most likely is they open the season playing in Dunedin. Um, it's the easiest solution uh look you don't want to be playing in buffalo in early april no. like it's cold and <laughs> the players don't want that and uh the bisons have to play somewhere yep. as well so there's there's some there's some potential conflicts there uh, i i could see the blue jays just continuing to play in Dunedin as the season opens um you know the, the brand new renovated player development complex is right there uh, it's a ten minute drive from the ballpark, which isn't ideal, but it would be just—it's as close to a big league facility as the Blue Jays are going to get while playing in a minor league ballpark. If um, MLB really wants them to be at, at a big league park, like I do, think that the Pittsburgh or Baltimore hybrid options would still be on the table. We saw the Blue Jays explore that mm-hmm. last, uh, you know, in twenty twenty. Like those were the preferred options before Buffalo. Was sharing Camden Yards with Baltimore or sharing PNC Park with Pittsburgh? Right. Those are, those contingency plans are still there. Those are still possibilities. But I think the most likely scenario is Blue Jays open in Dunedin, but then they do approach kind of an interesting juncture around June, July, where the weather in Dunedin gets oppressive, right. um, extremely hot and humid massive rainstorms pretty much every day. Uh, I wonder if that, that point, the blue Jays don't sort of take a lay of the land a little bit and say, Hey, is Toronto an option? Like have enough Canadians been vaccinated? There've been enough needles in arms. Have LB players been vaccinated? Yeah. Um, you know, what, how does the, what, what are public health officials telling us about the possibility of coming to Toronto and playing the rest of the year at Rogers center? Like, you know, I, I I think the Blue Jays are optimistic that it'll be realistic at some point that yeah. they can play at Rogers Center this season. Clearly for opening day that's unlikely. But come July, maybe it it makes some more sense. If not, and they have to remain south of the border, I wonder if at that, that point they look at Buffalo because clearly the the weather will have gotten better there in Buffalo and, and you know we saw them playing in Buffalo in July and August last year and it wasn't an issue and that way they can get away from some of the weather that they're going to experience in Dunedin which is going to be unideal so uh, you know <laughs> none of us should ever try to predict a pandemic <laughs> and how this <laughs> thing's going to develop yeah. but I think most likely scenario they start in Dunedin and then mid-season they have to kind of make a, a call and they come to a bit of a fork in the road with, with where they go from there
0: Uh, maybe we can't predict the pandemic. Can you predict what major league lineups will look like through, you know, April, May and June in that park in Dunedin, you've talked about, you know, a lot of eight, five type games to me, that park looks like it could even amplify that even further.
1: Mm-hmm. You are absolutely right. The ball's <laughs> going to fly. Yeah, okay. there are there there have been days at spring training, um, you know, March games in Dunedin where there is a stiff breeze and and hitters just getting the ball up into it and it is carrying the ball <laughs> right over the wall over walls. So and the, and you know sometimes those are like minor league hitters. Too, sure, right? yeah, so, that's what I'm saying. There's yeah.
0: full major league lineups coming in there and.
1: Cool. I think uh, a lot of pitchers are nervous <laughs> about <laughs> having to pitch in Dun Eaton this year. I think you're gonna see a lot of two seamers down in the zone right. looking for ground ball contact. Uh, so yeah, I, I do think it has the possibility to be an absolute offensive bandbox. Um, which will be interesting to watch play out. And sure. you know, it could be another, you know, reason why maybe MLB will wanna step in and force the Blue Jays to play somewhere else. Yes. Uh, just for you know, just to keep kind of for like a, a level playing field you know, across the pit, baseball. The
0: pitchers' union will certainly be pushing for
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, you know, I I I think it'll be you know, even Buffalo. Like yep. it was funny, man. You talked to a lot of the hitters, like Rowdy Tellez, and uh, you know even some of the pitchers, like Ryan Barucki, and guys who spent time in Buffalo in the minors. They all said it was a pitcher's ballpark, hmm. and it did not play that right, right at <laughs> all um in 2020 so i don't know if that was just a small sample aberration or if maybe there's a difference when you put sort of big leaguers in there as opposed to minor leaguers um but it kind of seems like whether it's buffalo whether it's Dunedin, whether it's rogers center later in, in the season the blue jays are going to be playing in a in a hitter's ballpark no matter what uh and that, that all those those environments are, are pretty offense friendly
0: Um, as currently constructed, and we don't know what moves lay ahead for any of these teams. uh, As currently constructed, is this a playoff team in 2021?
1: I think it's a team that can contend for a wild card spot. Absolutely, can compete for one. Um, I think health is going to be huge, and like that's kind of the. I think that this MLB season is going to be. So much more open to volatility than even a typical lb season is just you know for a lot of the reasons we've been discussing coming off of a 60 game year not really knowing what you're gonna get from pitchers this season um and a lot of the 2020 statistics that just like might look like aberrations on guys uh fan pages uh you know it was just I, it was such a small sample it's so hard to sort of take from that what a guy is going to be going forward or what a guy is going to be over a 162 game sample so i think they're they're absolutely in the mix for an american league wild card spot um along with uh you know the Tampa bay rays obviously uh i think the red sox will be better than people are expecting them to be Hmm. um so i throw them in that conversation as well you look at the Central with sort of the Twins and the White Sox battling it out there, you would think that one of those two teams would be in the wild card mix as well, whichever one is not leading the, the division. And then, um, you know, in the West, I mean, you know, the, the Astros are going to be good again, you have to assume. Um, you know, I, I think the Angels have some of the best players on the planet. If <laughs> yeah. you think about Trout and Rendon and Otani... Uh, you know, and, and the Oakland Athletics always seem to find a way to kind of hang around yeah. so I think the Blue Jays are absolutely in that mix I don't think that they're better than the Yankees for the AL East but I think if they can remain healthy which is the, the biggest thing and if they can have really solid depth where when they are inevitably backfilling for you know, and Ryu's shoulder inflammation in July, or for you know a bullpen that gets kind of taxed uh, come come kind of the summer months. If they're backfilling with capable major league arms um, and with with dudes that swing and miss stuff, major league pitches who can get big league hitters out, I think they can be a lot more successful. And also, if they can get some pretty strong minor league seasons early in the year out of guys like Simeon Woods Richardson. Jordan Groshins, Austin Martin, and maybe look at transitioning one or two of those guys to the big leagues late in the season in much the same way Alejandro Kirk was last year,
0: yeah.
1: that could be a big X factor for the team uh, towards the, the end of the year. And that could be something that really helps carry them into the playoffs, much like Kirk did in September.
0: Well, as we sit here between blizzards, I am ready for baseball. I'm ready for spring training. <laughs> Feels like spring, doesn't it? Honestly, yeah. It, 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 it's hard to tell that it's right there, but it's right there. It's coming. Um, this is fun, man. Love your work. Love being able to, uh, to talk baseball with you. Always appreciate you making a little bit of time. And uh, hopefully, you know, maybe uh, once the season gets up and running and maybe you're back on the beer, we can back on, have a pint and do this again.
1: Oh, I'd love to, man. Thank you. Always, always happy to come on.
0: I uh, really appreciate it. That is Arden's Welling. Sportsnet.ca is where you can find his work. Also, uh, a great Blue Jays podcast at the letters uh, with uh, him and Ben Nicholson-Smith. Still trying to get Ben on the show. We'll, uh, you know, put in a good word for us there, Arden. I will. I will. <laughs> That's uh, TCA. We will talk to you all on Friday morning. Michaela Schreider will be back with us. We're on Twitter and Instagram at dot Facebook.com slash Audio. Subscribe wherever you're listening. We'll see you later. What you
1: just said
0: You can get more TCA at tallcanaudio.com or by searching Tall can Audio on your favorite podcast app. Um.